600. All right, well, praise the Lord. So while they were in Honduras, Virginia was able to pass out 600 tracts while they were down there. So we praise the Lord for that. Let's be praying for those that the Lord will use each and every one of those uh, in a unique way. And we praise the Lord for that. We're thankful for uh, just all the work that they're able to do while they're on the mission trips. We just praise the Lord for it. All right, turn with me, if you would, into the book of Habakkuk. Just going to read two verses. I'm going to read the first two verses. Um, and then uh, we'll ask the Lord to help us this evening. And I kept thinking and praying, Lord, uh, I, I feel like you got another message in Habakkuk that we need to preach. And uh, I can tell you, I kept uh, going through and I was like, man, I, I feel like this, but I'm not sure. And, and I'm, I thank the Lord, though, that tonight we're, he really did. He, he showed up and this was a little bit uh, a while ago that, that the Lord laid this on my heart to preach this. And it's a Wednesday night, and I'm going to try to get you fired up tonight. Amen? That's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, this is not an oh me sermon. This is an amen sermon, okay? So, yeah, thank you, Brother Harry. And so, you know, you come in on Wednesday night, and you hate it when, you know, you're the faithful ones, and then the preacher beats up on you. It's like, what in the world's going on? So tonight, we're not going to do that. Man, we're going to praise the Lord for his salvation that he brings to us. And we're just going to look at this, these uh, passages of Scripture. Really, we're going to go through the book of Habakkuk, just three chapters, looking at some stuff there. Stand with me, if you would, as we read these first two verses in the book of Habakkuk, and then we'll get to preaching the word of the Lord. The Bible says there in Habakkuk 1 and verse number 1, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again tonight to be in your house. Dear Lord, we're thankful for salvation that is brought to us by Jesus Christ. We're thankful, dear God, that he is present in every aspect of the word of God that we hold in our hand. Dear God, even as we go to the Old Testament, we are seeing pictures, we are seeing types, we are seeing shadows that reveal themselves in the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh. And dear God, we can go with confidence and look and see and say, yes, this is our Lord, this is our God, this is our Savior. And dear God, it just stirs our heart and does us well that we say him in the Old and in the New Testament. Dear God, tonight, as we try to just take some time to say thank you for saving us, thank you for the salvation that you brought to us, that, dear God, we would just praise you for bringing us new life in Christ, praise you for hearing us when we cry, and all of the amazing things that go along with salvation. We're thankful tonight for each and every part. Bless your word. And we pray that it would do a great work in our heart and life tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I mentioned before that as we move through the minor prophets, that oftentimes they are poetic in nature. And unfortunately, sometimes the poetry of them is lost to us in translation. What do I mean by that? We don't get the the meter, and we don't get the rhyme oftentimes that would be there because of the translation from 
uh, from Hebrew into, into our language. And, and so we don't see that. But there are other parts, and we already mentioned this, there's other parts of the poetry that we do see. We still and can see it if we look at it that in books like Habakkuk and in many of the Psalms, we see the fact that each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is represented, the first one and the second, and they'll move right the way through all of those letters of the alphabet as they start each new phrase. And as we see that, we can go back and look at those and better understand how the psalmist or how the poet was going to break those up for us. And it helps us to understand the scripture better, to understand their emphasis and things like that. We've also started to talk about just a little bit about how the turn of phrase or idioms that I love to talk about are different and we have to study those out to figure out what are they talking about culturally uh, in some of the things that they would use as far as the turn of phrase and things like that. And tonight, we're going to talk about something, but we do not lose it at all in translation. We do not lose it at all in anything as we look at the Word of God and see very clearly, as a matter of fact, it jumps off the page of what God wants us to emphasize, and I believe also what Habakkuk wanted us to emphasize. Now, I want you to notice as you look at the words that we read already this evening, we read in verse number one, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Then we see at the very beginning of verse number two, say that with me. What does it say? Oh, oh Lord. Now, I hope in your Bible that the word Lord is all in capitals. Is it? Amen. Well, praise the Lord for that. I'm glad that you got that straight tonight. All right. What does that, you already know what that means. It means the emphasis there is placed on the name of God that we feel the freedom to say of Jehovah, but that the Hebrew writer would not have felt the freedom or the liberty to even speak the name of Yahweh. And so they have different ways that they would write it or put it down. And as we have in this passage of scripture, all in capitals, the word Lord. And guess what? It jumps off the page, doesn't it? Because all of the sudden, boom, there it is in capitals. Well, guess what? These phrases and these things that the writer, especially a poetry writer, would center his, his theme and center things right around that phrase and his call upon the Lord. And it's no different with the book of Habakkuk. As a matter of fact, we're just going to move through those real quick tonight. There's only 18, okay? No, I'm just joking. Anyway. But anyway, we're going to move through them, and we're going to see what I believe is a beautiful just reminder. You know what's funny about the book of Habakkuk is we really don't have any messianic prophecy in the book of Habakkuk. We don't see it clearly laid out like we have in so many of the other books of the minor prophets as well. We've seen clearly delineated messianic prophecies and spoken of that. Now, don't get me wrong. The Messiah is spoken of in the book of Habakkuk. 
The book of Habakkuk speaks strongly of the future kingdom and the one that will come. And and, and it does talk about that very much. But it doesn't necessarily give us something like it does in other passages that he'll be born in Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though thou art least of these. In the book of Micah, we see that. It doesn't have anything like that. But I want to tell you, if you move through these lords in the book of Habakkuk, you're going to see that salvation is emphasized in the Lord. So let's just take a look at them as we start out. And it goes right through the way, I believe, in a wonderful picture of how we need to be saved and how, it, how we come to salvation. So here we go. We got the introduction out of the way. You know what we're doing. Here we go. The first one is there in verse number two that we already read. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. You know, the first place that we come to when we come to God is we cry out to God. We look around. We look around at the world. If, if someone is going to be saved, there's nobody else that they can call upon but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's number one. Lord, Jehovah God is the only one you're going to cry out to if you want to be saved. And here the prophet, he cries out and he looks around him and he says, Lord, how long am I going to have to cry? How long are things going to be the way that they are? See, what is he looking around and seeing? He's looking around and seeing that something is wrong with the world that he lives in. Now we look around and we see it too, right? We can make all of those applications and all of those things and that's fine and good. But what I'm really concerned about tonight is not the fact of how wicked our world is, which is plenty wicked and it's always been wicked. But what I'm concerned about is I want the person to see how wicked the world is and call out to the Lord. Say, I can't take this anymore. You might say, Mike, that's a terrible place for somebody to be. I'm glad I got lost so I could get saved. Amen? You know what? If folks are going to be born again, if they're going to honestly, truly repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if they're going to cry out to God out of a true heart, they've got to understand how wicked this world is and how wicked they are as well. They've got to see that. They've got to cry out to God. Oh God, how long will you hear me? This is the question that is coming. Also the question that he's asking, and I'm thankful for this as we're going to keep moving along, is he is also wondering if the Lord is listening. The sinner oftentimes wonders if God can hear him. He really does. He wonders. Have you ever dealt with someone who has just been struggling with the fact that could God really save somebody as wicked as me? I've dealt with those people. I've dealt with plenty of them that said, you just don't know all the things that I've done in my past. I'm not sure that Jesus could save me. Little do they know, they're in the exact perfect position because guess what? That's the spot you can get saved from. If you got one ounce of self-righteousness left in you, it's impossible for you to get saved. It's impossible. If there's anything left in you that wonders, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm still a pretty good guy. I'm still doing pretty good. Everything's okay with me. I'm doing all right. If you have anything left like that, you are not a candidate for salvation in Jesus Christ. Woe is me, for I am undone. 
I'm a man of unclean lips. We, those that come to Jesus Christ, they look and go, I don't think he'll ever even hear me. As a matter of fact, we already see that. What did the prodigal son say? He's like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to beg that I can just be a servant in my father's house because it's a whole lot better. There's nothing good of me. There's nothing profitable in me. I've got nothing to offer the kingdom of heaven. I am going to throw myself. I don't even think that he ought to listen to me. Thank God he does. Amen. And we're going to keep preaching that in just a minute. So number one, how long will we cry out? Then look at verse number 12 in chapter number one. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. This is an interesting passage of scripture. We've been studying the book of Habakkuk and we've been looking at the fact that, you know, Habakkuk is looking around and he's saying that you are the Holy One. You are the God of gods. And as he's saying in this, he's saying, listen, and this is a tricky part as he's calling out to the Lord here. He's saying, listen, those around us have been ordained for judgment. Judgment should be upon the world. This is also the place where Habakkuk finds himself, because you remember we already talked about this in the book of Habakkuk, that Habakkuk comes and he says, Lord, why are you going to use the filthy Babylonians to bring judgment upon us? It shouldn't be that way. And he says it right here, Lord, they are the ones that should be judged, not us. Not us. And he is calling upon this but he uses a key phrase that's important for us to remember in this. O Lord, my God, mine Holy One. The separated, the Holy One, the one that is without fault, the one that is without flaw. Habakkuk is going to realize it as he moves through this passage of just complete growth in him as a prophet. You know what? So many of the prophets that we read, we have to, they're calling out to the, to the nation of Israel for them to learn and for them to grow. But in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk himself is learning what it means to trust God and to put his faith in God. He is learning what it means to say, God, you are the one that's in control and I'm going to trust you. And he puts the emphasis right here on the fact that he is the Holy One. Again, for the sinner to be saved, he has to realize that God is indeed the Holy One. There is none like Him. God has set Himself apart. There is nothing that He can't do. There's nothing like that. As a matter of fact, when I come to this one too, and I want you to, this is important too. He looks around. He looks around and he says, God, yeah, I understand why you should destroy the Babylonians, but I don't understand why you should destroy us. Matter of fact, if you go back and read that and you remember, he asks him, we already read that last when we were going in there before. He's like, Lord, what are you doing? I don't understand this. God answers him and says, even if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't get it, okay? That's how big this is, okay? And if I told you you wouldn't understand it, it would be far above you. So you've got to trust here that something else is going on. And the other part that we have to trust in is that God, and this is hard for us to understand, because what is, what is Habakkuk wanting God to do? Deal with Israel 
according to the fact that they're not as bad as sinners as the Babylonians. What's that? Merit. But God can't do that, can He? Because if He deals with us based upon our merit, we all lose, right? It doesn't matter. You can't go over there and be like, well, the Babylonians are worse sinners than ours. Judge them, God, but don't judge us. It doesn't work that way. We have a difficult time with that. No matter how much we talk about it, preach about it, no matter how much we think about it, we struggle with the fact that we feel like that if we go to church or if we do this, that we have somehow gained some level of respect that God ought to give us as opposed to other people. Uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus told a whole parable about that. In Matthew chapter 20, as he begins the parable, Jesus says, and I love this, and we gotta, we got to make sure that we really mark it down in our Bibles, that anytime Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like unto. That's big, okay? That's the goal, okay? That's what we're striving for. And Jesus said in that passage of Scripture, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man, and he's calling the workers out into his field. You remember that passage of Scripture? And he calls the ones at the beginning of the day, and he says, I'll give you a penny, right? He says, you work all day for me, and I'll give you a penny. And you know the story well, don't you, as I've already started it. Some come at 10, some come at noon, some come with one hour left at the end of the day. And what does the master of the field do? He goes out and he gives every one of them a penny, doesn't he? You remember the story? What happens? Them that worked all day said, hey, we got a problem. We got a problem here. We worked all day. They worked for one hour. Why? What's going on? We did more. The kingdom of heaven doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And it blows our mind every time. As a matter of fact, you ever thought about that parable? Why didn't the master... Just, number one, why didn't he pay the guys that had worked all day first? Just get them out of there. Pay you guys, you worked all day, give you your stuff, you're gone. You won't even see what I give the rest of them. No, he wanted them to see. Do you realize that? He wanted them to see. That I'm going to be good to them, not because they earned it, but because I'm gracious, because I'm merciful. We just, we have a hard time with that one. We struggle to grasp, even at the most basic level, that we have been saved by the grace of God. Not of works. There is nothing. We, we, we are fine with that on that base level of when we come to it. But as we start in the Christian walk, we start to feel like we've earned something. We have not earned anything. It is still of his graces. And it's wonderful in that passage, and our pastor has even preached it, and it's been so beautiful to hear him preach it, even at funerals. For those that come and get saved at 80 years old, 90 years old, they get the same heaven you get. Amen? They get the same heaven you get. Because he's gracious, and he's merciful. We have a hard time, and Habakkuk was struggling with that right from the very beginning. But if we're going to get saved, and if we're going to walk by faith, uh, and if we're going to live by the grace of God, we've got to live every day waking up and being absolutely amazed that he saved our soul. 
that it's still amazing grace every single morning. And that's what Habakkuk is dealing with. It is his grace. All right, we got to keep going. So we see, number one, that we cry out to God, that we understand that it's all of his mercy. Then in chapter 2 and verse number 2, the Bible says this, and I love this, and the Lord, all capital letters, amen, goes right there, and the Lord answered me and said. We can just stop right there. Amen? Are you pretty happy that the Lord answered you? Was he obliged to think anything about you? Nope. Was he obliged to give you the time of day? Nope. He owes us nothing. We have not earned anything, but yet somehow he answers when we call. Hmm. Boy, think of that. The God of all heaven answers when we call. Wow. And the Lord answered me, said, write the vision. And I, I could go on a lot about this, but I'm just going to look at things. And he says, make it plain. Don't make it hard to understand. Don't make it difficult. Listen, aren't you salvation? A wayfaring man, though a fool, could not err therein. Anybody can get saved by the grace of God. It's still plain. It's still easy. Let's not make it hard. Let's not make it tough. Let's not make it so deep that, that only a few are going to get it. I'm thankful that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness, that if we will come with a childlike heart and fall upon His mercies, that He will forgive us. God is good like that. Make it plain that he may run that readeth it. I like that too. I like it the fact too that he says, write it on tables. He's putting it on a tablet. Write it down. Write it down on stone. It's permanent. Jesus saves. It's permanent. That's pretty good too. Amen? Anyway, I thought you would like it a little bit more than that. But anyway, it's plain. It's settled. He answered. He has promised. He has spoken. Boy, I'm thankful the Lord has done that. Now let's go. Chapter 2, verse number 13. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity? Hmm. The Lord, He causes these fires so that we understand the vanity and we see the uselessness of a life without Christ. You know, as much as the Lord offers us salvation, just as plain as can be, easy to get, man is constantly trying to satisfy that longing his own we have a whole book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes where Solomon shares with us that everything in the world that he tried to use to fill the void of God has come up as a vanity in his life. Nothing filled. And man still tries to do it. This is a dangerous por portion of this as we think of the salvation of a person. 
Here is a person who has understood their need of a Savior, who has come into the realization that there is a holy God, that has come under the fact that, you know what, I do believe that God will answer me. But just as we see with the parable of the sower and the seed, that while that seed has been planted, there is nothing that Satan would love better than to send a bird away to steal it, to send the cares of this life, to say, you don't really need that. There is something out there that you're going to miss out on. There's something out there that's going to be better than God and God has enough grace and mercy to send the fires uh, and to send the troubles uh, and to send the things in this life that have the opportunity to push us to him but unfortunately they might push us away too but God is loving enough not to just leave us stagnant but to send the trial and to send the trouble all the time, making a way of escape. Amen? Making a way of escape so that we could call upon the name of the Lord and realize how good He is. Oh, how good He is. Verse number, the next verse, verse number 14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. And one day, no matter what anybody else ever says, it will be all of the Lord that it speaks of continuously. There is nothing more important than Jehovah God for our life now and for the life next to come, next, or for the life that is to come. And He is working hard to show us how great that is so that we would understand as we surrender ourselves in this life to his plan, to his way. And this is exactly what Habakkuk is walking through. He's saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing. God, this doesn't make sense to me. But he comes to the place and he says, I will trust whatever you're doing. Your works will cover the whole earth. You will perform what you have said you will do. Now, we got to keep going because there's a couple more. Verse 20. This is, my, this is probably my favorite verse in the whole book. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Boy, I think there's something really good about being quiet in the presence of the Lord. I'm glad that, just like when we read through the book of Habakkuk, I'm glad that he lets us question him. I'm glad that he can hold up to the scrutiny of my questions. Amen? They're not bothering him. I'm glad that he allows me that opportunity. But when I come into contact with him, who he really is, there comes a time when I need to stop talking and let him start talking. That I need to keep quiet as we think and just understand who he is. Like I said, I could keep going on that one. We are speechless in the presence of the Lord. Out of awe, and here comes the next one, but also out of fear. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It is absolutely 
devastating to us as a human being to be in his presence. Everyone in the Bible that comes into contact with the presence of God realizes immediately that they shouldn't be there. They should be dead. It is an amazing place to be, and it is a time for science. Now let's keep going. Chapter 3, verse number 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. There's the fear. I have heard thy speech. I heard what you did. I was reading these things. I know, I know what should be of me. I understand a little bit better now, Lord, that where the Babylonians are, yeah, I get it. We're not much better. I understand, and I'm afraid. Oh, Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, Make known, and here's that word, in wrath, remember mercy. This is the place where the sinner calls upon Jesus Christ. And he says very clearly, I understand. There's none righteous, no, not one. Not the Hebrew, not the Israelite. We're as wicked as the Babylonians. And honestly, God, I'm afraid of what you're going to do to me. Hmm. You know, sometimes I've been a little bit critical of that young person who comes and gets saved because they're scared of going to hell. I was reading this and I'm not so critical anymore. It's a scary thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It's a scary thing to realize, and I think some of us have just forgotten it, We've lived, in, we've lived so many years on this planet that we seem to think, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'll say he's coming and I'll talk about it when I'm at church, you know. But I, you know, it's hard to believe. Hey, I'm just being honest, right? We get that way. We get complacent. Is he really coming back? Uh, probably not. I'm probably going to live out my days and then I'll go home. Because we lose the fear of the Lord. It's a fearful thing. But here he calls on him and he says, Lord, in the midst of what you're doing, and just in case you were wondering, he's still dealing with people. The wicked are not without their judgments. You, you, we realize that, right? Okay? Like we, we look around and go, well, nobody does... None of them are happy, right? Do you realize that? The world is not happy. And all of these things that they do to satisfy every single tiny little bit of lust and desire and whatever, and anything that might pop into their brain that they go, you know what, let's just do it, let's live free. At the end of the day, none of them are happy. None of them. None of them are as happy as the man who's sitting on his back porch watching his grandkids play in the yard. Because he raised them up the right way, his own kids. And those kids are being brought up the right way. And he's looking at generations that call him blessed, and he's saying, this is a good place to sit right here. The world doesn't know anything about that. They don't know anything about that. 
He is showing us how good it is. And everything that the world has, they're being judged. Even in this life, they are. We act, we act like, oh, they're getting away with everything. They're not getting away with anything. They're not. They really aren't. Anyway, i got to keep moving on. Oh, Lord, what a great verse that we need to keep in our mind. Even, for, even as we walk through now, Lord, remember. Remember mercy, even in the time like this. Then let's go down to the end of the chapter. This is the... This is the the kicker that brings it all together. Chapter 3, verse number 18, verse number 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet. What's he saying? You remember this because we already talked about it. With everything that's going on, God, nothing's really going our way right now. But I'm going to rejoice in it. I will joy in the God of my what? My salvation. That's it. You, you God, have provided for me salvation that no one else could do. You have provided for me blessing. You have provided for me what I need, uh, not just for this life, but more importantly, for the next. And because of that, I will rejoice in you. And right there, you find one of the greatest keys to the correct attitude of the person who is in Jesus Christ. Not because of what you did for me, not because of any of that. I am just happy that I know you. It's not because I had a great week. It's not because you gave me a promotion. It's not because I was born in the United States. It's not because I live right where I am or all of those things. Or I got a nice truck or I got a nice boat. None of those things. I am satisfied in the salvation that you have provided for me. It is sufficient and it's all that I need. I'm satisfied with it. That's the correct heart attitude that salvation comes from. And then they get this. The Lord God is my strength. We walk through this life. What strength do we walk in? Do we walk in our own? Do we walk in the strength of the Lord? Capital L. Capital O. Capital R. Capital D. That's strength. That's strength. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Daryl, come around. Maybe as we've gone through this tonight, I know it's Wednesday night, but we preached a salvation message tonight right from the Word of God. Maybe you're here and you say, Mike, you know, I, some of that is hitting me. I come to this salvation thing with a little bit of my own works. I come to this salvation thing expecting a little bit from God. I come to this not understanding mercy. My friend, that is step one. And we walk in that wonder throughout our entire salvation experience. Do we grow? Absolutely we grow. Absolutely we grow. But we never get over the fact that he saved a sinner like us. We're in awe. Absolute awe. Dear Heavenly Father, if there's someone here tonight, maybe they want to thank the Lord for their salvation. Maybe they just want to get around the altar and pray. Maybe there's somebody they want to pray for. Lord, whatever you want to do in our hearts tonight, do it. 
and help us, dear Lord. As we stand and as they sing, go ahead, Daryl. Let's stand. If you need to come, you come tonight. Lost and undone, a beggar so helpless without God or his son. Then my Savior in mercy heard and answered my cry. And oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. Since Fist of the sea, that old load of guilt I carry, it's all gone. Praise God, I'm free. Looking for that bright tomorrow where no tears will dim the eye. But oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. Since Jesus passed by. Since Jesus passed by, oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. Well, I can't explain it, and I cannot tell you why, but oh, what a difference since Jesus passed been wonderful tonight how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one. 